Hello and welcome to Breaking Silos. My name is Rajnagra and today I'm joined by Miriam Guest from AstraZeneca. Miriam is a principal microbiologist working in new modalities and parental development, pharmaceutical technology and development operations. Welcome to the podcast, Miriam. Could you tell us a little bit more about your background and current role before we jump into today's episode? Yeah, well, thanks for having me today. It's great to talk to you. So I'm principal microbiologist in new modalities and parental development at AstraZeneca and we're part of the global operations function and there we're bringing molecules to patients so we're doing the late stage development and making sure we get life-changing medicines to patients. In my role in microbiology there's a team of us and we look after the microbial control strategy so whether that's for non-sterile products such as tablets or in inhalation products or sterile products like injectable parentals and we will figure out where our critical control points might be in those processes, what testing needs to be done in routine production, and really developing that holistic control strategy for microbial quality assurance. And that's a key part of my day job. I also have a global role with the Global Microbiology Forum, and that's a fantastic network of microbiologists across AstraZeneca. So in the operations function, we've got about 28, 30 micro labs across the world, and we meet up once a month. We share our learnings, whether that audit observations and audit discussions, so we understand what areas the regulators are looking at, whether it's technical challenges in the lab or in some cases shortages in the lab supplies. We've all been hit by that with COVID and having that global network to lean on to help facilitate movement of goods has been really powerful. I've been leading that network for about five years now and I've learned so much. You know, we've got so much knowledge within AZ and these fantastic microbiologists. It's a real privilege to to have got to know them and, and learn from them and develop further into that overarching view of what micro is today and what those challenges might be amazing many strings to your bow it keeps me busy (laughs) (laughs) so our topic today is technology uplift and collaboration could you give us a little introduction to what we mean by technology uplift yeah so microbiology is quite a traditional science a lot of our methodologies you know they come from the 1880s you know we've got nutrient media where the recipes were created back then and then you know our agar plates you'll see pictures of of Fleming looking at 90 millimeter agar plates and they're much like the ones we're looking at in our labs today and one of the things when we're looking at introducing new products and processes you know there's, there's that question of do we want to do things the way we've always done or is there a better way and I think advances in technology have enabled this so trying to to get that in our labs and get that into our routine use has been quite a passion of mine, you know, and, and understand linking that, not just doing something new because it's fun and exciting, but actually is it fixing a challenge in the micro labs today? Then that, they're the technologies we're looking at. So it's specifically around what problem are we trying to fix? You know, is it a faster time to result? A faster time to result will tell you quicker that you've got an issue. If, if there's something going wrong, but it also helps that access to healthcare. It helps reduce your inventory and your supply chain lead time if you can get a faster answer on, on product quality. Then there's other aspects, so uh, data integrity in the micro lab. When your raw data is an agar plate that you throw in the bin, how do you prove it ever existed? So some of these new technologies are really enabling to demonstrate that the sample was taken, the test was performed, and we've got a traceable audit trail of that, that we've got confidence in that result. 
And what has AstraZeneca's history been in this kind of area? So we've got, so historically, we had a few different activities going in isolation at different sites where there was a specific need at that site where an urgent problem would need to be fixed, so a new technology would be adopted. But we've really consolidated that over the past three to four years and brought that network-wide approach to it. So we've looked at areas where we can implement technology with lower burdens of regulatory change, for example, sort of the ready-now technology, the things that we should have in our micro labs. And so we've, we've got a, a pathway where we've got those implementations of, of newer technologies such as microbial identification platforms, automation of endotoxin testing, standard platforms for trending and consolidating data. And then we've got the next wave of technologies. So these ones are, need a little bit more development, a little bit more testing and challenging, and they'll come into the next wave of what we deploy to our, our labs across the network. You mentioned challenges just there. What kind of challenges have you or do you face when it comes to collaborating and using technology? So I think in routine operations, you know, it's, it's very focused on on ensuring the quality of our medicines and, the, and they get to the patient. And to be able to do that, we have to go through the agreed steps and make sure everything's okay. And one of the challenges is, is having the, the time and the capacity to take a step back and say, well, actually, we, we could do it in a different way, but it may take investment of, of time and money to get there. So having that's centralised in, in the pharmaceutical technology and development function, that gives us a little bit more time to, to put that effort in then lead to a slick deployment in the micro labs. So we'll, we'll really beat up a technology in those evaluation phases. We'll really you know, go into an initial feasibility study. And in those, we're going for worst case. We're not trying to pass a feasibility study. We're trying to say, well, will it meet the, these requirements? When we've done that, we go into a verification phase where you know we further look at how the technology performs in our lab with our products, for example, how that behaves with the different range of microorganisms at different levels, and then we'll validate it. So we'll use frameworks from our regulators on how to, va to validate an alternative micro method. So having that time to do that in development is really powerful. And it also enables us to learn a lot about the technology before we're using it day to day. You know, we, we can understand how to optimise it and provide the labs with a framework of these are the problems you might face, this is an area you need to focus on in training, this is what you need to do to verify it in your lab. And, and we get that big understanding that way to overcome those challenges. I was just thinking of the collaboration piece. I think in terms of collaboration, I found the network really collaborative and engaged. You know, they were an established network when I, I came in to lead them, but I think they're keen to to see new technologies in the lab. So it's just helping enable them, but also giving them a voice, you know, to, to articulate what problems they're facing and why this investment might be wise. Fantastic. What I was going to say, what's the general status quo regarding technology and pharma companies? And has the microbiology labs progressed much in recent years? I'm part of a number of industry consortia groups with different pharma companies in this space. So it's really interesting to hear from them and learn from them. And we are generally all, all moving in that direction. You know, we're investing in new technologies and looking at where they will benefit us. Some have different priorities and, and some have similar priorities, but we do see we're generally on the same path. You know, we are moving forward. And I think 
the push has come from both our regulators, they expect to see more progression, but also the technologies that are available. We've seen enhancements that weren't necessarily there historically and, and things like digital imaging and automation is a lot more accessible than it was even two years ago. So I think we'll continue to see that progression gain momentum and speed up. I think there's a general perception that pharmaceutical companies, the labs within them, they are quite secretive and don't collaborate that much with other labs outside of themselves. Is that a true perception or how much collaboration and partnership is there between yourselves and different labs? So I can speak for microbiology. I think I'm involved in five different industry consortia groups. Some of those are are focused on specific technologies. Some of those are focused on on the broader enabling of technologies and and there's organisations that help facilitate that. We've published a few papers across industry collaborations which speak to that movement in the same direction. And whilst we don't necessarily talk about the specifics of our products, sort of that non-proprietary information of how we might adopt a technology and and how to approach it, interpretation of regulatory guidance. I think we're probably collaborating a lot more than than the outside world realises. Definitely. From research I found you will see large companies collaborating with smaller companies, sharing knowledge whilst keeping that IP safe. Exactly. And we, we have industry days as well where we visit other pharma companies to, to look at how they're using technology. We're hosting a, a rapid sterility day in January, for example, where we've got speakers from other f- companies coming to share their learning. We'll share ours and you'll see that cross spectrum of it. it's not just the big pharma we'll have smaller companies involved in those discussions as well so when it comes to collaboration how does a technology strategy come into play i think on an internal level at astrazeneca that collaboration is key to understand the need you know the, if it's not broke don't fix it so mm-hmm. if you have that really engaged dialogue to understand what challenges people are facing and have that openness that people can bring a challenge to the table without worrying about you know the consequences (laughs) to not be afraid to share their challenges I think then finding technology solutions to to help really it's cyclic you know it it snowballs Mm -hmm. it's got this problem this technology will help fix it here you go and then it's like ah and that worked for that so what what can we do for this so I think it's really important um, to have that open dialogue what are the risks and benefits associated with that? So the risks, you know, not, not everything passes. It's proof of concept. We'll, we'll go into those studies with open eyes and, and with the view to fail fast. You know, we don't mm-hmm. want to invest a lot of time and money on something if it's not going to meet our end point. But we can take that learning to the next proof of concept and, and ad- adapt what we're doing. So I think... You know, it's not risk-free. Not everything works. Not everything is is exactly what you need. And there may be different solutions for for different applications as well. So taking that into account. Of course, it takes investment and of time and, and money. So it's being willing to take that risk that hopefully things will work out, but they don't always do. But the benefits, you know, we've seen by automating our endotoxin, for example, on a global scale, we've saved about 3,000 hours a year. So significant benefit to the business there. And having standard platforms then enables other technologies to be adopted. So having 
a standard reporting system for environmental monitoring means that we can potentially automate how we read our environmental monitoring plates because we'll be feeding that data into a standard platform. So the benefits of doing it on an enterprise-wide scale are significant, and I think they really do outweigh those risks. You're so heavily regulated. Is there an impact to those regulations and the audit process? So I've got a great deal of respect for our regulators. I think, you know, they're at the forefront of patient safety and that's, that's something I'm a passionate advocate of. I think we we need those regulations for a reason because, you know, not everyone has that in-depth knowledge. So, yeah, you know, and I think that enables a framework to say this is the standards that you, you need to meet. So whilst the regulators are there to protect the patient, we're also in that same space so we work alongside those regulations we'll see drafts of regulations before they're published in the final version and we have the opportunity to comment and input on those drafts so the technical expertise of of people that are familiar with say the methods or the technologies we are able to have that dialogue with the regulators having a clear understanding of them is important you know we you know you need to really sit down and read through the alternative micro methods validation chapter for example but then when it comes to using it day to day in in the operations laboratories that audit impact it's making sure we've provided the sites with enough knowledge that they understand the technology and the the limitations of of that and building their expert package so if they are in a dialogue with an auditor of, of say an id system they're able to understand fully what they've got and how to talk to it so there's that. The other side of the regulatory impact is when we've got a, a registered drug product, for example, how we make and test that is registered and agreed with the regulatory agencies before we can move that on to patients. So if we're changing the way we test something, for example, we'd have to let the regulators know before we can move to testing routinely in that alternative way. And that can be challenging working globally because you'll be registered in multiple different countries. So you have to go to each of these regulators and and seek their agreement that that change is appropriate. Mm -hmm. And that can take years to go through all of the different ones. So strategically, we're in a position where we're embedding that in the, the new products that are coming through the pipeline. So at the time of that initial registration, we want to be including that alternative micro method then. So then that minimizes the impact of that post-approval change which can be very complex and lengthy. You mentioned there that you work with the regulators could you go into a little bit more detail about how you work together to set the standards so patients can be confident that their drug developments are being safely handled and safely developed? Yeah so you've got the pharmacopoeias which sort of outline the different testing methodologies you might use in the micro lab and when they're updated, they go through a, a review cycle. So there'll be a published draft and that will be sent out for public comment. So as an organisation, AstraZeneca, we get together and, and we'll review these documents and provide our input. And we do that with our Pharmacopeal Forum. And generally, I always go with the approach I'm an advocate for the patient. <laughs> so I, I'm there. That's, that's my bottom line is that I'm looking at this with the lens of, of does this assure patient safety? One of the, the largest documents for sterile manufacturing was published in August this year. The 
Star Manufacturing Annex 1, European Guidance. And that went through a number of review cycles. So AstraZeneca fed into to their comments on that. But I know some of the industry groups also do that and consolidate responses. So when we're talking about collaboration, that may be an opportunity in an industry group for some of the smaller organisations to make sure their voices are heard. Having a global view really helps because, you know, I can reach out to colleagues across the world and understand how they may interpret the language given, you know, that we've had a big discussion on, on what does should and what does must mean. And in the eyes of GMP, should and must are the same thing. Whereas right. sometimes maybe in the English language, you know, must is something you must do and should is something you should think about. But GMP, it's the same thing. And it's amazing how long a discussion you can have about just one little <laughs> word in a sentence and how to interpret it. Language definitely matters in these situations because you need to be able to make sure your patient is going to understand what it is that they have to do, what they must do, I guess, because mm-hmm. they will take a should as a, oh, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Yes, I suppose it's, you know, even the simplest thought form of, of taking a tablet Mm. You should eat one hour before taking this. Exactly. It yeah. isn't as strong as saying you must eat one hour before yeah. taking this. So, yeah, it, it's really interesting when you start unpicking all the pieces. <laughs> <laughs> You'll end up going through plenty of audits throughout the life cycle of a development. When an audit takes place, who's involved in that process and what are you expecting them to see and how do you prepare? So we have the audits... It, during development and we also have we have regular audits of our commercial sites by the countries where we're manufacturing the product for as well so I'd say on any given week across AstraZeneca there is an audit taking place they're usually hosted by our quality functions with technical input from technical experts if it's a facility-based audit we expect the audit to understand what we're manufacturing how we're doing it how we're testing and releasing it for audits to support new products. The largest one that is the US's um, PAI inspection. So that's after we've submitted the regulated file, they will go and inspect the site uh, to understand the products and the processes. For development, when we're at that late stage development and we're ready to produce our product commercially and we we want to register that and launch it, we'll have a, a larger audit taking place. And in that, we need to make sure we understand what's been included in the regulatory filing what aspects may the auditor want to see evidence of when they they do that site visit. But then also there there may be data that sits behind that. So how we've reached hold times, for example, in the manufacturing process, how we establish them. There'll be a level of information in that regulatory file, but obviously we can't put everything in or it would be a million-page document. So having that information accessible and, and making sure that the people... In the quality function who are facing that audit know where to find that information is mm-hmm. really important. What systems are you using to capture that really critical information and the data that so many departments need sight of? So we have a repository of documents that are all approved and mm-hmm. go through levels of approval and they're the formal documents that support our final drug product but then we have other document systems for technical reports and then we have electronic laboratory systems for raw data as well so Mm -hmm. there's a few different systems that pull into play and and everything is cross-referenced but it's it's hard to 
give a really definitive answer because we, yeah. we do use a number of different systems. And when you identify systems or processes and procedures that can be enhanced by technology, what goes into that selection process to become part of your group of systems? So we'll identify the business need first, you know, it's like, why do we need a system or, or a new process here? And then in the selection process, we'll probably start with a, a landscape scanning, paper-based exercise, looking at what solutions are already out there. And that includes internally AstraZeneca, so what are we using across the network? And then we'll look outside as well. So we'll look at what, what other options there are. And that initial paper-based exercise will potentially try and find one or two candidate systems or technologies and then we'll move into proof of concept with those. So what would be your short, mid and long-term goals of technology approaches? So in the short term, we're looking at more ready now technology. What can we adopt that has the, the least burden of, of development and, and optimization? And we've done a number of those now. So we're almost in the bit. We've got the low-hanging fruit and we've got to move into that more mid and long-term strategic goals. One of the big areas we're looking at is automation of result interpretation in the micro lab. So looking at digital imaging, for example, rather than simply looking at an agar plate, can we use a digital imaging system to look at it and record the results there? We're also looking at what our risk areas are. So this might be in clean room environments, for example, the more people you have in there the more likely you have of, of background contamination so can we reduce the number of people in our clean rooms how would we do that is automation the answer and where is it most appropriate to apply it so that's one thing we're looking at in our strategy refresh of, of where are the best places to adopt that technology we do see that microbiology is really subjective and you know we, we need our microbiologists to be there doing that data interpretation however that may come so we're not looking to automate and remove our microbiologists we're looking at how automation can complement our microbiologists in the micro lab to enable them to focus on the, the real areas where where they can add value that change can be quite difficult for the everyday employee on the ground doing the work how do you navigate that change across the department and who's involved with that process so I think it's really important to have a shared vision to ensure that, you know, the change isn't just for change's sake. It, mm -hmm. It's there to make people's life easier. And I think the stakeholder engagement goes in all directions. You know, it, it's the people in the lab day to day need to understand the drivers for change. But then it's the senior leadership as well of, of why this investment is important. So having that open dialogue, having a lot of learning and awareness sessions available for people to understand the change helps. You know, as humans, change is scary. We, <laughs> we don't yeah. always embrace change. So nurturing people through that and, and providing the support so they're not just lost with, it, with a new technology in their lab and they don't know what to do, that's really important. Why is it so important to be implementing new technology now? So we've certainly seen in the new Annex 1 that's almost a call for arms to industry. It has a clear statement in there saying you should be using the, the latest technology to enhance your control strategy or something to that effect. So certainly our regulators 
are speaking to this point regularly. They're, they're saying we want to see new technologies. It's not just happened recently. You know, in 2004, the FDA guidance for industry, that talks to it as well, and that's nearly 20 years old now. So I think that from a regulatory perspective, but also from um, access to healthcare perspective, we've got more products than ever before coming through the pipeline. We've got more patients to meet their needs. So enabling that increase in productivity by adopting the right technologies will enable us to get more medicines to patients. That is really fascinating. Everything you've mentioned today is incredibly useful to know for all of our listeners. To round off the episode, do you have a top three tips for when you're beginning a technology uplift? I'd say my number one is understanding the current state. Try and get as much understanding of what that current lab looks like today so go and visit your micro lab speak to the the technicians and the scientists in your micro lab to understand where their pain points are you know I was quite surprised to learn that the data entry for sterility tests takes longer than the actual sterility test Mm -hmm. itself And, and that's a relatively from a technology point of view, a simple thing to fix. You know, we've mm-hmm. got iPhones that can translate menus in, in French to English in, in an instant. So surely we can fix that data input that, that's so painful for these people working in the lab. So I think understanding the current state, understanding what risks you're carrying in the current state. So how easy is it to make a mistake? And, and is there a technology that can help minimise that risk? And then understanding what's out there, looking at, at the different options you've got. It's very easy to get sucked into sales pitches for one technology, but I would always say, do, do your homework, do your landscape scan. Don't just go with the first thing you've heard about and find that technology that fits the challenges that you're facing. And then that engagement with, with senior leaders to buy into your technology strategy and, and support it with investment of people and that's also really important to be able to see it through to the end. So having a clear idea of how the different activities might overlap or if you're just going to start with one activity, how will that map out and what's the, the plan of how long it will take to get to deployment and what it will take to get there. Fantastic. Thank you very much. If people are looking to find you and find out more about what it is you do, where can they find you? So I'm on LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest place to find me. And that's Miriam Guest. That's right, yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to seeing more from you. And thanks very much for having me along. I'm happy to work with you again anytime. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) You've been listening to Breaking Silos, a podcast by IdeaGen. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate, review and subscribe. And until next time, goodbye.